Uh, tonight we are continuing our series called In. If you haven't been with us, welcome to Refuge uh, with all the refugees here. Uh, we are in a series called In. We're walking through the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 3 tonight. Paul is going to qualify his life. He's going to tell the church why he is living. And I want you to consider your life as we walk through Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. How would you qualify your life? If someone asks, what's your life about? What is the core of who you are? What is the core of what your life is about? What would you say to them? That's what Paul's going to do. We're, we're in a transition mode as we journey through Ephesians. For the first two chapters, Paul has been really expounding theologically. He has poured out everything he knows about what it means to be a Christian and how that happens, that God chooses you and adopts you and redeems you. The first two chapters are heavy. They're some of the most theologically rich chapters in the Bible. But now Paul's making a transition. He has poured out his thoughts to the church at Ephesus, and in chapter 3, he's going to turn from being theologian, and he's going to be pastor, and he's going to pour out his heart, and he's going to let his people know where he's coming from, and what his life is about, and what he's going through. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to ask God to speak to us, and he's going to do that, and it's going to be an awesome night. Thank you guys for being here. Let's pray. Just as we kind of stop uh, today, I know if you're like me, you've had a crazy day. You've probably had a crazy week. Just as we pause for a moment to interact with God's Word and interact with the living God, uh, let me ask you just to take a moment of silence and just say, God, whatever it is you want to say to me tonight, um, you have full permission to speak loudly into my life. Just ask Him that for a moment, and then we'll continue on. Father, I thank you for the bold access we can have in your presence, like we just heard. I thank you that in just a moment we're going to see a guy, Paul, who's just another guy like, like us in this room, pour out his heart to his people, qualify his life. And God, I pray that, that we could go from this place qualifying our lives in much the same way that Paul qualified his life. That at the core we would be about you, about your glory, about your gospel about spreading that. So God, tonight would you speak to us in a way that only you can, and uh, Father, would you, would you calm our busied souls? We're so busy. We are busy people. God, I know this week for me has just been absolutely crazy, but God, for the next few moments, would you calm us so your Spirit can speak to us? We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name, and his people said... Awesome. Um, if you got your Bibles, go to Ephesians 3, and that's where we're going to hang out tonight. And if you're uh, new here, you, we're reading, we're kind of journeying along in Ephesians, and, and we invite you every week to read with us as we kind of walk through Ephesians. Let me just say this before we get going, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this towards the end, but um, how many of you guys were here Friday night for Jane, for Jane? Wasn't that amazing, what God did? I mean, absolutely amazing. And, and um, I'm just... The whole night I was just like, this is a dream. Like I was just walking around like I wanted to push. You know you have those times in life where you just want to push pause and like everything stands still for a minute and you just soak it in. I felt like the night was just going by so fast and I was just like, oh man. Um, I can't tell you guys um, without maybe getting emotional and I'm not a very emotional guy, but how much we feel humbled by the fact that you would... Um, you would do that. 
And all of you had a part in that. Even if you weren't setting up or doing anything, if you bought one of these green bracelets, you had a part in that. And later on, Ricky's going to come up and give us some more specific details on what God did Friday night. But it was massive. And can I just say this? Uh, it, it is the talk of the town, so to speak. Uh, college ministry, you're on the map, right? Okay, so that's a cool thing. Uh, and, and here's why. Here's why I think God blessed it. Because He cares about the orphans and the widows. And when you care about what God cares about, He blesses that. Period. End of story. And I think that's why I blessed it. And it, was a, it was a blessed night from beginning to end. So, so thank you guys. Let's go to Ephesians 3 before I break down. Um, okay, uh, Ephesians 3. Here's the deal. Paul's transitioning and he's going he's gonna to cut his heart open and just kind of just bleed everywhere for a minute. Okay, And he's getting really personal with his people. Here's what you have to understand. Paul uh, is an apostle. He's a missionary, but he's also a pastor. He spent three years with this church in Ephesus. The most he spent with any place. And so, if Paul was ever a pastor to anybody, he was a pastor to these people at Ephesus. Now Paul is in prison. He can't be with his people that he loves. And if you're a pastor, you can ask any pastor. They long to be with the people they pastor. They long to be with the people that they are shepherding and as God, God has put them over. And so, Paul was not able to be with his people. He was in prison. And he wanted to go to them. But the best that he could do was write to them. And so, here in chapter 3, Paul begins to pour his heart out. But, but he's going to qualify his life. And here's the question. I asked this a minute ago, but how do you how do you qualify your life? Like if someone were to ask you, man, what is the core of who you're about? What is your life about? What do you hope to accomplish in your life? You break it down to a few things. What is life about for you? What do you live and breathe for? Paul's going to qualify his life and he's going to tell us, here's what I live and breathe for. And the first thing is this. We find Paul, and it's interesting that Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus in such a joyful manner in chapters 1 and 2. Because he's talking about how amazing God is and God is the Father and God has redeemed us and God has adopted us. And, and then in chapter 3 you find out where Paul's at. He's in a prison cell. Like, if I'm in a prison cell, I'm not too jacked up about God at that point. Okay, let me just be real honest. If I was thrown in prison, and I've met people in China and in Africa who've been thrown in prison for their faith, I'm not going to be too jacked up about God. But Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, chapters 1 and 2, and you see this joy. Remember, he didn't even punctuate. He just was on a rant because he was so full of God. And so here's the deal. Join me in in chapter 3, verse 1, and here's what Paul says. Um, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. For what reason? Well, for everything he's just told us in chapters 1 and 2. So for the reason that we've already seen so far, all of the stuff that you see on the side of the wall, all of the but God moments, all of the shalom that Jesus brings, for all of this stuff, here's what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul begins this, this prayer, but it's like in the middle of the prayer, he kind of pauses for a minute and begins to qualify his life. And then he finishes the prayer in the latter part of the chapter. We'll look at that in a second. But here's the first thing Paul says. Paul qualifies his life by, by one word, first thing, suffering. And it's interesting that the first thing Paul qualifies his life with is suffering. We don't hear suffering talked about a lot as a qualification or a qualifier for someone who's a Jesus follower today in the church in North America. Do we? I mean, you don't hear too many. This, this month, we're going to do a four-week series, a sermon series on suffering. Come learn how you can suffer. You don't hear that a whole lot, do you? We have books like Your Best Life Now. 
And we have books like how you can be a better this and have better finances and better this and how you can excel and how you can be the 25,000 irrefutable, irrefutable laws of a great leader. We have all of that stuff. And none of that stuff is bad. Well, maybe the best life now. But <laughs> Paul says the first thing, I am suffering and I'm suffering for you. Gentiles, I'm suffering on your behalf. See, Paul had a specific calling, and it was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And that specific calling got him landed in prison. Paul was suffering. That's the first thing he chooses to tell them. It's the first thing he chooses to tell them. And it wasn't like Paul was like being egotistical. It wasn't like he was saying, Hey, I, uh, I'm Paul here, and you guys remember me because I came and set this church up, and it's pretty awesome. I'm sure you guys are enjoying church today because of me. And now I'm in prison, so y'all should feel sorry for me. That wasn't what Paul was doing. He was just literally sharing with them his heart. I'm suffering here. Now, I've, as I've journeyed through this passage this week, I began to ask myself some really hard questions. If Paul was qualifying his life with suffering, and if that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, and we know it does, because when Jesus was here and His disciples were walking with Him one day, He said, Guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm going to be handed over to the authorities, and they're going to kill me. Do you remember what Peter said? That's not going to happen. Jesus, that will never happen to you. We will never let that happen. And Jesus turned around and looked at him square in the face and said, Get behind me, Satan, because you do not have the will of God in mind. See, Paul wanted to say, No, no, no. We want to follow you, Jesus, but we don't want to embrace the suffering of following Jesus. And that's exactly where a lot of North American Christians are. We want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to embrace the suffering of Jesus. To follow Jesus is to suffer with Jesus. So let me ask you a question. And I'm asking myself this question. I'll be really honest with you tonight. I've asked myself this question all week. What does it look like for me that lives in a land where I can drive to most street corners and find a church where there's a Christian bookstore on every corner where I have great freedom? What does it mean for me and you to suffer for the name of Jesus in North America? I struggle with that. I just have to be honest with you tonight. Because I've been to places where people suffer and they go to jail and their houses are burned down because they're in a place that's hostile to the gospel. And to be really honest with you, we're moving down a path where it may not be too long before we suffer. Here's a little newsflash. There is a thing that is being voted on or thought about or talked about that would make speaking against homosexuality a hate crime, which means this. Someone who did it could go to jail, which means this. If you preach from the Bible what the Bible says, that homosexuality and that lifestyle is a sin, a pastor could go to prison. We're on a road that will lead us someday, possibly in our country and in your lifetime, that suffering will be something you will have to embrace if you're going to follow Jesus. Then... (laughs) Then we'll find out who's really in the game, right? Suffering. Paul says, I'm suffering for you. And here's what Jesus said to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't want to embrace the suffering. But Paul said this, I want to know him. I want to share in his resurrection. But I also want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. You don't follow Jesus and not suffer. You have to suffer. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, is are we suffering at some point? Following Jesus will always cost you something. It will always cost you something. And some of you have been fed a gospel that just isn't gospel. That Jesus wants to simply fulfill you or make your life better and He does all of those things. But the most dangerous thing you could do is follow Jesus at times. Because it may take you to some of the most dangerous places you would ever go. It took Paul in prison. 
And I love this whole prosperity gospel that's going on right now that we hear a lot because people are like, hey, Jesus wants to give you BMW. And hey, Jesus wants to fill your bank account. And Jesus wants you to be happy and pretty and all that stuff. The problem is that doesn't line up with Scripture. Because if I don't have a Jesus who suffered, I don't have anything because then I don't have the cross. And Jesus looked at Peter and He said, Get behind me, Satan. And then He looked at all the other guys and He said, Hey, by the way, this road I'm going to to Jerusalem that's going to lead me to a bloody cross, all of you guys, if you want to follow me, if you want to continue to be my disciples, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me and deny yourself every single day. Suffering. You know what was, is really interesting? All those guys who were following Jesus lost their life because they followed Jesus. Except for John. And he was put on an island called Patmos. And he was basically out there for the rest of his life, we think. Peter, the guy that said, Hey, you'll never do this, Jesus. I don't want to embrace suffering and follow you. Peter was crucified upside down. You want to know why? Because when they took him to crucify him, they said, no, no, no. He said, no, no. I can't die as my Lord died, so I would rather be crucified upside down. They crucified Peter upside down. See, all these guys embrace suffering. Paul is embracing suffering. So he qualifies his life with suffering. And we have to ask ourselves a hard question. Am I sacrificing? If you're following Jesus, it will cost you. And it may not cost you your life. It could. It could. But it will definitely cost you your resources, your money, your energy, your time. Let me ask you a question tonight. How much are you sacrificing because you're following Jesus? That's a really just simple question. How much do you sacrifice because you follow Jesus? It may cost you relationships with people. Right? How much are you sacrificing because you're following Jesus? So Paul says, my life is qualified by suffering, and I'm suffering on your behalf. But, but then he goes on and he says, uh, my life is not only qualified by suffering, uh, but my life is qualified also, verses 2-5, through five, um, with a cause within a call. A cause within a call. Check out verses 2-5. through five. Here's what Paul says. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and to the prophets by the Spirit. So here's what Paul says. He says, um, my life is totally qualified by suffering, but my life was also qualified by calls within a call. Let me explain that for a second. Paul had a cause. His cause was this. I am called, and my cause is to preach the gospel, this mystery. I love this language here. The mystery of Christ to the Gentiles, to a specific people. That was his cause. Now, everyone is looking for a cause. I was talking to Ted about this. Here's the reason why I think for Jane and things like for Jane or to write love on her arms or invisible children, all these things a lot of us have heard about are really successful and kind of hit a nerve with our generation because our generation wants to be a part of a cause. We want to know that our lives are worth something. And we don't want to be happy just playing church. We actually want to be the church. We actually want to be in the world making a difference. Paul was in the world making a difference. He was a part of a cause. But his cause was not simple ambition. If you live by ambition, that will die someday. Some of our biggest problems, some of you in this room are very ambitious people. I know you. I'm a pretty ambitious person too. My wife is sometimes like, Rachel has to be like, okay, calm down. You have an idea, calm down. Right? That's just kind of how I am. She's like, no, you've got 20 ideas out here that you want to do. And she's like, you need to focus. Okay? Because that's just kind of how I'm wired. I get an idea, I'm like, yes, let's do it. 
Some of you are like that. That will be your worst enemy if all you do is live off your ambition because someday your ambition will grow tired and it will get weary. But if you have a cause that is because of a call from God Most High, that will not die. See, here's how we know that Paul had a cause within a call from God. Well, here's what he says. Check out these verses again, uh, verses 2 through 5. He tells us that he's got this. He says, I've been given um, the stewardship of God's grace, and it was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And I've written about this briefly. So when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in generations before, as it's been made known to the apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. So here's what Paul says. My specific call... My cause is this, that I would preach to the Gentiles the mystery of Christ. And the call is the call of God. So every one of us has a general call. Your general call is this, to make known the mystery of Christ. Now what do I mean by that? What does Paul mean by that? Here's what Paul means by that. The mystery of Christ is this. It is the gospel. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He's God with flesh on. That He came to the world. He lived here 33 years. He died on a cross. He was the propitiation of our sin. He was the atonement for us. He was the redemption for us. And His death doesn't divide. It unifies Jews, Gentiles, blacks, whites, Indians, whatever else you want to come to the table with. We saw that last week. He tears down the wall of hostility. That is the mystery of Christ. And here is what Paul is saying. For generations, people did not realize this. For generations, there were people who were living in the dark. But now it's been made known. God has revealed to us that through His Son, Jesus, He wants to reconcile everybody to Himself and everybody to one another. That is the mystery. And here's what Paul says. I've been given a call to preach this ministry and you this mystery you have been given a call to preach that mystery and you may say I am not a preacher you may say that is not my deal I can't get in front of people I don't do the preaching thing I'm not a preacher that's great you are still called to preach the mystery now how do you do that well we do it in different ways the mystery is this that Christ has reconciled everything to himself and he's reconciling everything to himself You've been called to preach that. That's the call. The cause is what you have to figure out. Here's what Paul understood. His cause was this. I'm supposed to preach to the Gentiles. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be thrown in prison. But you're called to preach the mystery too. Because do you understand that right now as we're sitting here in Tampa, Florida or USF or wherever you go to school, there are people that this whole thing, Jesus, is still a mystery to them? It's still a mystery. That blows my mind. And here's the deal. God deals in specificity. That's a nice big word for you, right? God deals in specificity. So God has given you talents. He's given you things you can do. Some of you are artistic. Some of you are musical. Some of you are people people. Some of you are behind the scenes people. You've got all of these gifts. And here's the deal. God has given you the general call. Preach the mystery. Because there's people that need to know. They're still in the dark. But the specific call is this. How are you going to flesh that out in your life? How are you going to do that? Because some of you have been given gifts and you may sit back and go, you know what, because I don't have a skill of preaching the Bible or I'm not someone who's going to go the mission field specifically to Africa or China or something like that. But maybe God's given you a great gift with children. You're going to be a teacher and you're going to preach the mystery to those children the rest of your life. Maybe you're good with your hands and you can build things and so you're going to use that as an avenue to preach the mystery of Christ. What is your cause? And how has God called you to preach the mystery of Christ? See, sometimes we kind of just let pastors do it. We say, you know what, that's your job and I'm going to do my thing. No, 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 no. 
Bible says you're a minister, you're a preacher. Every one of us in this room. The question is, how good of a preacher are we? But you just do it in different ways. So he says, um, he qualifies his life by um, a cause within a call. But, but not only that, check out verses 6 and 7. We'll move on here. He says this, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he kind of lays out what the mystery is. But then verse 7 is huge. Of this gospel, or this mystery, I was made a minister. Or you can take that word and underline it and put servant. I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power in me. So here's what Paul says. Not only is my life qualified by suffering, not only is it qualified by a cause within a call, Paul's life was qualified by grace-enabled service. And here's what he says. He says, this, this calling or this thing was given to me, and it was given to me by the grace of God to do. Now, we talk about being saved a lot, and we'll say we are saved by what? Grace. Now here's the, the idea that we get sometimes. Kind of track with me here. Especially as good Southern Baptists. We talk about, we're saved by grace, we're saved by grace. And we say, you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. And if somebody says, oh, I come to Jesus by works, we go, no, 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 it's grace. And we're big on that. But typically what we do is once we get saved by grace, we think we have to live out our Christian life or serve Jesus and all of this stuff in a works bubble. Which means this, I get saved by grace and I get into the kingdom by grace, but i got to stay there somehow by my good works. We don't realize that it is grace, it is grace, it is grace, it is grace. The fact that you got up this morning and put your pants on was grace. Okay? It's grace. It's grace. And that's what Paul gets. Let's look at those verses again. Look at verse 7. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister or a servant. That's what the word minister means. Servant. So, he says, I was made a servant. And here's how I was made a servant. By the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. So, here's what Paul is saying. The suffering that I'm going through right now. The suffering that I'm going through. The suffering that I'm going through. The cause within a call that I have to speak the gospel in a specific way to a specific people. All of it's grace. It's all grace that's been given to me. Some of you have a specific cause within a call. You know what your cause within a call is. Some of you have specific gifts and God is using you already. And I know in college it's when you kind of start to clarify who you are and what your gifts are. I remember that began to happen for me. All of that is grace. Right? If you're an artist and you can paint, you pick up that brush and it's by the grace of God that He gave you that gift to communicate the mystery of Christ. If you're good with kids, it's by the grace of God. It is all grace. But we get this idea that we step into the kingdom based on the grace of God, but then we have to stay there by works. Actually, a very Catholic view of understanding salvation. Catholics actually view salvation coming to Jesus based on grace, but then you have to do the sacraments to continue to get grace and stay within the system, right? We don't have a very different view sometimes. Sometimes we think we have to do works, we have to do works, but here's what Paul's saying. He's saying your service, your ministry, all of that stuff is all grace, grace, grace. And the day you forget that is the day you become proud. The day you forget that it's grace is the day you become proud. How do I know that? Well, continue on in uh, chapter 3, and let's see what Paul says here. Verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So here's the deal. The moment we forget that it is all grace, it's grace upside downs and backwards, then we become proud. We absolutely become proud. 
minute you go, dude, God used me. God pretty much needs me. I'm kind of a big deal, right? The minute you think God needs me to lead that worship song or God needs me to lead that small group or God needs me to do this or God needs me to do that, the minute we go there in our minds, it is a dangerous thing because God does not need us. The crazy thing is that God allows us to be a part of this whole thing called preaching the mystery of Christ. And He uses our gifts and everything that He's given us. And so Paul is pouring out his heart and he says, I am the least of all. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. He wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, First and Second Corinthians. He wrote half of the New Testament. If I'm Paul, I'm going... I'm kind of a big deal and I have many leather-bound books, right? <laughs> In my office smells of mahogany. No. I'm, I'm thinking I'm a big deal, okay, if I'm Paul. But here's what Paul says. Just, these words are rich. I am the least of all. I am the least of all the saints. What if that was the first thought every day when we woke up? We are the least of all the saints. You want to know why Paul was used so mightily by God? It's because he knew. He knew. It was only by the grace of God that he was being used. We're going to Ethiopia this summer, and um, I've got a couple teams that are going through Innovative, our ministry. One of them is a team that's going to go to Ethiopia for five weeks and teach English in villages there. Um, Tammy Mallory, who my friends back here know, I didn't introduce you guys, but I'm going to. Um, Tammy Mallory is a, is a friend of mine from Houston, Texas, the church I used to be on staff at, and she is leading uh, this five-week team. They're going to get to Africa, they're going to get to Ethiopia, then they're going to split up and go to three different cities. And this is a big task for her. Last year we did one city and she led that. Now she went from being having four people on her team to about 12 people on her team in three different cities. Massive. And she, she was talking to me the other day and she said, do you ever feel like you're just unworthy to do ministry? She said, I feel so unworthy for this task. I feel so unworthy. I said, yeah, I do every day. And the reality is you are unworthy. I'm unworthy. We're all unworthy. That's what Paul got. The minute I get that I'm unworthy, I become usable by God. Because God goes, oh, there's somebody I can get glory from because they are not looking for any glory for themselves. So Paul continues on and he says, um, this is how I qualify my life. But then he goes on and he says, I qualify my life not only by suffering or by this cause within this call or by this grace-enabled service, but he qualifies this life, verses 9-12, through 12, in realizing that he's a part of something bigger than himself. Check this out. Um, Go to verse 9. He says this, The unsearchable riches of Christ, and I came to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things. So this thing's been hidden for ages. And now it's been revealed to Paul to preach to the Gentiles. That's crazy. Verse 10, So that through the church, not through Paul, through the church, so he's a part of something bigger than himself, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So... In Him, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So here's the deal. Paul understands there's a bigger picture going on. How could Paul suffer? How could he go through what he's going through? Here's how he can go through what he's going through, because he sees the big picture. He said, man, from ages before anyone ever existed, this mystery was hidden, and now it's been made known to me. And through the manifold wisdom of the church... It's being preached. Check this out. Look at verse 8 and 9 again. Actually, 9 and following. 
He says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Who are the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places? Well, if you go to Colossians chapter 3, we get a picture of the rulers and the authorities. And they are actually demonic angels. He's basically saying, the church is going to make known this mystery to the demonic angels. Now, if you remember in Colossians, it talks about how Jesus, through the cross, defeated death. He defeated the demonic angels or the high rulers in places of authority, and he basically painted the picture of when Romans would defeat or conquer a city, they would take the army of that city and they would chain them up and they would drag them through town in a parade, basically saying, we have defeated the city. And that's what Christ did. In Colossians, Paul says, He has triumphed over them by the grave. He has triumphed over them by the resurrection, by coming to life from the grave. And He's chained up all the demons and the angels and all those heavenly things, those rulers and those authorities, and He's drugged them through out eternity and said, I win. It's pretty awesome. But here's what Paul says, and he makes that allusion again. He says he's going to use the church, and it's, it's this awesome picture. Check this out. Verse 10. So that through the church, us... And Paul was a part of that big picture. The manifold. Manifold means, means many perspectives or many colored. It's like when you're looking at a diamond, ladies. And, and the four C's. Is it four C's or three C's? Something like that. The four C's. Is it four? Some of y'all know. You're like, okay, yeah. Four. Y'all been looking at diamonds. Um, and you look at that diamond and it just puts off all this clarity and all this color. I remember when I bought my wife's engagement ring. The largest purchase to that day, maybe to this day, I ever made. They said, you can get it on credit. I said, that sounds great. Big mistake. Uh, I was a college student. I was like, sweet, you're going to give me $3,000 worth of credit? I'm in. I want to get married. Big mistake. Um, the cool thing is my wife ended up paying off half of that uh, when we got married. Big mistake. Okay? <clears throat> I remember, though... I remember though, she, the lady that was trying to sell the diamond to me took me to this like uh, this look, little microscope thing. Basically, took me, put the diamond under there, and said, "Look in this. You'll see the color. It's color, cut, and clarity. Those are the C's. There's another one. I don't know. Crazy. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> color, cut, clarity, and you're crazy for buying this at this amount." Um, she took the diamond and put it under this little microscope, and I was looking, and all of this color. It was just like color I hadn't even realized existed was popping out of this diamond. That's the same thing Paul is saying. He's saying the church is going to preach the manifold wisdom, the many-colored wisdom of this message and this mystery of Christ. He's saying the mystery of Christ, the message of the gospel, catch this, is so rich with color. There's so many perspectives and so many angles that we have to dig out of the Scriptures and go, oh, God's adopted me. That's a great picture. Oh, I'm part of the body of Christ. That's an amazing picture. Oh, marriage is a picture of the body of Christ and, and Jesus. Oh my gosh, there's so many angles of this thing. You could never, ever, ever get all of it. And that's what he's saying. But here's who he's saying you're going to preach it to. You're going to preach it to your friends. You're going to preach it to the nations. But you're also going to preach it to the rulers and the authorities. And what this verse says, the rulers and the authorities are the demonic angels are going to get an education in the glory of God and that they don't win. That they don't win. And it's going to come through the church, the redeemed ones. And Paul is saying, I understand something. I am a bigger, I'm part of a bigger plan here. Paul could have easily gone, I am the plan. God's using me to preach to the Gentiles. But he, he realized something. That he was a part of a group of people who would preach the gospel to the nations and educate the demons. 
about who wins. You're a part of that. And here's how he could suffer. And here's how he could go through all the things that Paul went through. Man, Paul was shipwrecked. He was put in prison. He was beaten. He, was, he, he went through horrible things. But check this out. Look at the last part of this verse. Here's what he says. Um, verse 12. He says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. Because there's something bigger going on. That's how my friend Kite in Ethiopia could have his house burned down by his Muslim friends because he became a pastor and that's where their church met. And he could still show up at pastor training the next week and say, I want to know more about how I can preach the mystery of Christ. Because he understands that there's a bigger story going on. He's a part of something bigger. That's how people suffer for the gospel and they get up the next day and go, I'm a part of something bigger. And then we... We get all bent out of shape and we have a bad day and we're ready to stop following Jesus, right? You've got to understand that you're a part of something bigger. What's at stake is the glory of God. And He has given you a cause within a call to preach the mystery of Christ to the nations. That blows my mind. That He's gifted you specifically to preach the gospel to the nations, to the demons, to the world. That's what Paul says. So he's qualified his life, but he's going to finish in, in one way. And here's, here's the way he's going to finish. Um, he's qualified his life by suffering. He's qualified his life by this cause and this call. He's qualified his life by understanding that he's a part of something bigger than himself. But then the last thing he qualifies his life with is wanting others, these people that he pastors, to know the depth of God and the depth of themselves. Check out this prayer that he prays that uh, was read so eloquently by uh, Tim and Tabitha earlier. Verse 14. For this reason, everything he's just said, and he says that a lot throughout Ephesians, for this reason, for this reason, I bow on my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, that's a crazy prayer. He's saying, I want them to understand the depths of God and the depths of themselves. And here's the reality, is that if we're not careful, our Christianity can become become simply intellectual. Well, we know a lot of verses, we know a lot of stuff, and we can rattle off things about Jesus. But here's what Paul is praying. He does not pray for intellectual knowledge. doesn't pray for that. He prays that they would know Christ, that they would know the depth of His love, the breadth of His love, the mighty nature of who He is deep in their inner person. That they would know the depths of God's, the depth of God within the depth of themselves. That's not intellectual knowledge. Some of us stop short, including myself, at intellectual knowledge. Man, try going to seminary for like three years. God becomes a subject, right? If you're not careful. Sometimes it was really easy for me to stop short of intellectual knowledge. But here's what Paul is praying. He doesn't just want intellectual knowledge. He wants it to connect to the heart in such a way that it's in the inner man and it's coming out. And, and here's, the, here's the language that he uses. Check this out. He says, I want them to know, so I bow on my knees. He is on his face in prison. So I bow on my knees before the Father. 
from whom every family to heaven and on earth is named, and according to His riches and glory, that He would give you strength. Strength for what? Look at verse um, 18. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Sometimes we make... We make this out to be a prayer that's about being fulfilled. That's not what it's about. Sometimes we make Christianity and the gospel about being fulfilled. It's about you. It's about your fulfillment. It's not about that. Paul is not praying for them to be fulfilled so that they'll have a happy, best life now kind of thing. That's not what he's praying for. Paul is praying that they would have strength to comprehend the greatness of God and that they would be full of Him so that they could suffer, so that they could preach the mystery of Christ, so that they would realize they have a cause within a call, so that they would be people who ooze the greatness of God, not simply to be fulfilled. That cheapens it. So that they can suffer, so that they can speak the mystery of Christ, so that they will know that there's a cause within a call. But he finishes with this. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly more than all we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, that dunamis power that we talked about in chapter 2. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's what Paul wants them to grasp. He wants them to get this, and he wants us to get this too. That he qualifies his life by wanting other people to know the depths of God within the depths of themselves. I've been a pastor before. I'm in ministry now, but I've been a pastor before. Ted can Ted would amen this. The curse of the pastor, and if any of you guys ever become pastors, the curse of the pastor is wanting more for a group of people sometimes than they want for themselves. That is the curse of the pastor. It is a burden that that person carries. I cannot tell you every time I stood up at the church I was a youth pastor at and stood before 300 students on Sunday, about 200 on Wednesday nights, and I longed for them to know the depths of God. And some of them just didn't care. That is a burden that Paul is carrying. Some of you know that because you want that for your family members and your friends, even though you're not pastors. It is a burden that we carry sometimes. And what he wanted was them to know that. But he also wanted to know that this great God who has done so much can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. He builds word upon word upon word. And he said, just when you think your God is small, don't start praying small prayers. Pray big prayers. Because if God can adopt you, if God can place His Spirit within you, if He can redeem you, if He can raise His Son from the dead and use the same power in you, then He's a God who can do great things. He can do more than you could ever hope for or imagine. And some of you have experienced that before. Now, we could probably have open mic night and go, hey, we're going to have more than you could hope for or imagine or ask night. Where you just stand up and say, God did this and it blew my mind. Blew my mind. It's interesting that we are here tonight in this passage. Because I think Friday night, and we'll come back to Friday night, God did more than we could ever ask or hope or imagine. He did more than we could ever we could ever ask for. As I watched those people coming in for Jane to the event, I began to think, and I thought about this on Saturday. I thought, you know what? There are plenty of people in this church that could have written us a check. There are plenty of people that could have said, hey, we believe in what you're doing. And there have been plenty of people along the way. Um, this adoption will end up costing us $23,000 roughly. 
we've spent very little of our own money on this thing. And I look back over the past two years and think, God, you supplied every bit of this. There are people who could have written us a check for the remainder and not batted an eye. They go to this church. But I thought, while people were walking in, and even after the event was over, and I thought, man, God did more than we could have ever asked for or hoped for. It looked amazing in here. Right? People heard about God's heart for adoption. There was money raised to bring home our little girl from Ethiopia, which we're so just humbled by. God did more than we could ever hope for or imagine. But I thought, you know, someone could have written that check and we would have been done. Wouldn't have had to spend the day setting this room up. Wouldn't have had to do three or four months of planning that you guys did. Wouldn't have had to do any of that. But we would have missed it. We would have missed the blessing of being a part of what God wants to do. And that night... The mystery of Christ was preached. That God wants to adopt people into His family. So you are part of a cause within a call. I don't know if you know that or not, but you are part of a cause within a call. And if we would have just had someone write a check, which could have happened, we would have missed you using your gifts, you sacrificing, you working, you praying, and then ultimately us seeing God do more than we we would ever hope or imagine that He could do. We would have missed that. We would have missed that. So, God did more than we could have ever thought or imagined. Or I was blown away. So, um, some of you guys know this, but there was a task force, so to speak, um, who made this happen. I, when I look at the night, I go, every one of us in this room and some people who aren't here tonight made this happen. Because for three weeks, you gave up your own money so that we could have the capital, so to speak, to buy these green bracelets to even start moving forward with Fort Jane. So everyone was a part of this, right? We raised $180 in like three weeks. That's pretty amazing, considering all of us are poor and we eat ramen noodles, okay? (laughs) I'm in that same boat, okay? But um, it's kind of the lesson or the story of, of the parable of the talents. When the guy gave him so much and gave him so much and gave him so much and one guy went and buried it and another guy took his and multiplied it, you took about $180 and you multiplied it. Big time. So I'm going to ask uh, Ricky, who kind of headed up the task force, um, to come and um, tell us. And Ted's going to come too because I think he wants to say a word. And we're going to worship and celebrate. But Ricky and Ted, you guys can come up and they're going to tell us a little bit about the night. And more specifically, uh, the question that's on everyone's mind, how much money was raised and what did God do far above what we could ever hope for or ask or imagine. So. You know, you see right here, you, you're, you no. stay up here with us. You shut that thing off, that's good.